0: It is my great honor and pleasure to be with all of you this eve- this afternoon. Thank you, Mr. Sanjay Kirloskar and the CIAI for inviting me. I was asked to speak on conscious entrepreneurship. One of the deepest, most profound studies in the history of humanity is what it really means to be conscious. And this can be studied on so many different levels. Everyone is seeking happiness. From the little ant that's crawling on the kitchen cabinet to the heads of states of great nations. Ananda Mayobiyashat, the Brahma Sutra tells, <clears throat> that everyone has this one principle in common we're seeking pleasure. There is a proverb you can tell how wealthy you are by counting how many things you have that money cannot buy i spoke this to a ceo of a major international corporation and he became so excited and he He was a billionaire. He came to meet me in his private jet. I came to meet him by asking somebody to give me a ride in a little old car. He listed for about five minutes all the things that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy love. Money cannot buy peace of mind. Money cannot buy satisfying relationships. He went on and on and on, and he practically started crying, establishing stronger and stronger the greatest, most important wealth of the heart money cannot buy. So I'm a little Swami who hasn't had a bank account or signed a check since 1969. So I asked him a question. I said, if what you're saying you really believe, then why do you work so hard for money? And he gave me a really good answer. He said, because it's, it's nice to have the things that money can buy. <laughs> Recently, we had a cataract eye camp in a place called Badarsana. It's near Brindaban in Uttar Pradesh. We have been doing this every year for about 20 years. In Mira Road, close to Mumbai, the Bhaktivedanta Hospital organizes it. And many volunteers come, usually about 150 every year. A few years ago, one very high-level doctor, an ophthalmologist from Mumbai, who has a very successful practice, very wealthy, very luxurious residence, somehow he decided to come. And he was living in such primitive environment. This eye camp, there are people from villages who've never gone to school a day in their life. They've never seen a doctor in their life. They've never seen a dentist in their life. They're really poor people. We have to go there to bring them. So the doctors, they have to live in that environment. Very simple, very cold. He did a surgery on this lady, she was probably about 80. She was wearing rags. She had no teeth. She didn't even know how to spell her name. She had two cataracts on her eyes. And after the surgery, he personally took the bandage off her eye. And it was the first time in so long that she could see. She was so happy. In her own very simple village way, she took her hand and started beating this doctor on the head, slapping him. And as she was slapping him, she was saying over and over again, I can see. I can see. You have given me vision. May Radha bless you. May my Radha bless you. And she was crying. I saw that doctor weeping. And he said to us, that was the deepest experience he had in his whole life. What a difference he made to that person. What happiness he gave to that very simple, unknown little old lady. That experience transformed his life. And ever since then, every year he comes to that eye camp and brings his whole family. Years ago, I was visiting Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And we had a beautiful conversation, but one thing she said, I've never forgotten. She said, the greatest problem in this world is hunger, not hunger of the belly. That can easily be solved with some food, hunger of the heart. And she said, I travel the world, New York, Los Angeles, London, Sydney, Mumbai, the rich, the poor, Even the most powerful people on this planet, their hearts are starving. The only thing that can give nourishment to the heart is to love, to love and to be loved. If we don't have that, No matter what we look like, no matter what we have, no matter what position or role we're in, our life is empty. Like a little girl whose parents are working so hard, they give her all material things, but they don't have time to give her love. She looks pretty, but she lives in misery. Mother Teresa explained that this poverty of the heart is the underlying foundational problem with human society. And then she said, only God's love Can actually fully satisfy the heart. Jesus said that the first commandment was to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But if that love is discovered, it's within all of us, then naturally we will love our neighbor as ourselves. And everyone is our neighbor. The Bhagavad Gita explains the same principle. What are the qualities of a person who really has wisdom? A person who actually has wealth internally. That they see every living being with equal vision. all the various varieties of humans, all species of life, and the environment as well. We no longer think that I'm just the proprietor, the controller, and the enjoyer. There's no real happiness of the heart in any of those things. As we have heard from so many of the exalted speakers today, True humanity, true wisdom, true happiness is compassion. The more we know we s- our self, the more we understand our true relationship with all others. Things can give some satisfaction to the mind and senses, but not for long. But things could never give satisfaction to the heart. In a cultured society, people love people and use things to express their love for people. But in a misdirected society, in whatever way it is ornamented, is where people love things and use people to get them and keep them. My guru, Srila Prabhupada, he gave us a simple Vedic principle of what a true successful life of wealth is. When we learn how to be para duki, when another person's happiness is my happiness, and another person's suffering is my suffering, in other words, to actually care. Years ago, I met a man who was the number one comedian in America. And then he became an activist, civil rights activist. And we were speaking together, and afterward, I, he was telling me, This is, there was a great drought in Ethiopia and all kinds of other conflicts. And he said, tens and millions of dollars of donations were given by corporations in America and other places to send food and medical relief and clothing to the people suffering in Ethiopia. He went there. He was shocked by what he saw. All the things that everybody sent were still at the docks. Months and months later, nothing reached the people. He said, did these donors really care, or were they just getting some tax benefits or some popularity? If we really care, then we're going to put our heart into what we're doing. And that's the great need of our time. There's an environmental crisis. There's an economic crisis. We heard about the crisis of the abuse and exploitation of children, of women, of the old. There's so many various types of diseases born of unnatural stress and pollution. But really, it all comes down to a spiritual crisis. We are disconnected from our own hearts. We are disconnected from our own souls. The Gita tells, Najayate Mriyate that the, that the Atma, the living force within all of us, is eternal. It's never born and it never dies. Mamayvam so jiva sanatana. The nature of our true self, we are not God. But we are a part of God. We are a child of God. And we are godly. And when we could make that inner connection, we could see how every living being is a child of God. And we care. I know one of my dear friends, He started a company with a few other young business people. And they really built it up and developed it. And then they sold it to another bigger company. And they made a lot. They gave 50% of everything they had, all the partners, in charity. And it was a relatively very large sum of money. That gave them such satisfaction. It made them so happy. They were saying, what we kept can never give us a fraction of the happiness and meaning and purpose in our life in what we gave. And they started an organization called Basil Partnership, because they wanted to share that joys with other entrepreneurs and other business people and other corporations, where people give, they invest, and together, and half of all the profits go to charities according to their choice. And more and more and more people are actually finding the beauty of such a life. The Gita tells that what leaders in society do is what the common people will follow. What standard are we going to give our children and our grandchildren? I'm about 65 years old now, and I travel a lot of places. And I see so many children and grandchildren of very, very powerful, successful people who are quite empty internally, quite lost, even fighting among each other. What is the real standard of wealth that we're giving to them. I'm going to tell you a really strange story. How exactly true it is, I'm not sure. But I heard it when I was a child. And it really affected the way I see the world. I'm from Chicago. In Chicago, There was a man, he was about my father and grandfather's generation. His name was Easy Eddie. Please raise your hand if you have heard of Easy Eddie. It's really nice. I get to tell it the first time. (laughs) He was a top attorney, lawyer. And because he was so excellent, the head of the mafia of Chicago, Al Capone, hired him. How many have heard of Al Capone? (laughs) He's one of the heroes of Chicago. (laughs) He was a murderer. (laughs) He was. Selling drugs and alcohol when alcohol was illegal. He was selling insurance. Simple way. He just had his people going to every little shop and saying, We want to sell you an insurance policy. Give us this month, this much every month, and we will make sure that your store is not bombed. And in order to make it serious, if, nobody did, if somebody didn't pay, they bombed it. So this is how he was exploiting and manipulating people. But every time he was charged with something, he got off. A lot was from bribery. A lot was because of fear. But also because he had this top lawyer, Easy Eddie. Easy Eddie was a multi-millionaire. He had a mansion in the heart of Chicago. He had his own airplanes, the finest cars. He had everything materially. He had a son. And he saw that there was something not right with his son. And he was thinking, I have given my son everything materially any boy could want. But there's one thing I didn't give him, a father that he could be proud of. Because the son knew what he was doing. He came to the conclusion that if I'm going to give my son a meaningful life, I have to show him that I have character and integrity. He testified and worked with the government authorities to help put Al Capone in jail. He knew if he did this, he would probably die. And one day when he was driving his car, another car drove next to him. (laughs) Machine guns sprayed his car, and he laid bloody dead in the streets of Chicago. Out of his love for his son, he paid the highest cost gladly. I'm going to tell you another story now. There was a man who was in the United States Navy and he flew an airplane and in World War II there was a great battle and He took off in his airplane with a squadron of about six or seven others. But somehow or other, he saw that his gas gauge, his petrol gauge, was low. So he had to go back to the mother ship. This ship had about 2,000 people on it. As he was on his way back, he saw enemy bombers, about 12 of them, I think 10 of them, coming toward the ship, ready to bomb them. And he had no way of communicating. So with his little airplane, he just flew right at them and started fighting 10 others. They thought he was a complete madman. He shot down about three of them. He ran out of ammunition and started flying and crashing against the wings. And the enemy planes thought, this man is totally insane. And they just flew away. And with a crippled plane, he came back to the ship. He was the first Navy Air Force person to win the Congressional Medal of Honor for World War II, because he was willing to risk his life for the people on his ship. He didn't have to do that. His name was Butch O'Hare. O'Hare Airport in Chicago was named after him. I'm going to tell you something that really moved my heart. Butch O'Hare was the son of Easy Eddie. That's what he learned from his father. What do we want to give our children? What do we want to give the students in our schools? What do we want to give the world? integrity, character. And the basis of integrity and character is compassion. In Sanskrit, karuna is the word that means compassion. But not just a feeling. It is active, dynamic, direct did an intelligent compassion the kind of compassion that really makes a difference there's a story of hanuman out of compassion for sita and ultimately for all living beings he was building that bridge across the indian ocean and he was carrying massive rocks and as he was doing there was a little spider that was kicking little grains of sand. And Lord Ram, he told Hanuman, in my eyes, the spider is doing every bit as much as you. You're doing the best you can with all your strength. And this little spider is doing the best he can by kicking grains of sand every single one of us could really make a difference in the world. That's our true legacy, to earn with integrity, to spend with compassion. The ecology of the heart, when it's polluted by greed, and arrogance and selfishness. It pollutes others. It pollutes the world. True spirituality is not a sectarian concept. True spirituality is cleaning the ecology of our heart. Through satsang, through associating with people that really inspire us and give us faith in that higher principle, through sadhana, through having spiritual practice, maybe meditation, maybe prayer. In my tradition, it's chanting God's names and sadachar. to live with character, to live in a caring, compassionate way, to know that our true wealth is how much compassion we have in our hearts. And to share that and make that our legacy. I came to India when I was 19 years old. I hitchhiked from London. Because in the 1960s in America when I was a teenager, There was so much conflict, so much racism, prejudice, such an imbalance between those those of one religion and another, those of one color skin and another. And I really believed that in India, I could find What Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I believe that change had to come in my own heart. It took me six months because I had no money. I hitchhiked from London through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and most all of Europe. And I finally came to India, and I really believed it was like returning to my mother. I didn't know why, but it was an overwhelming feeling. And then I heard my guru, Srila Prabhupada. He was in, he was in London, and a journalist attacked him. said, why have you come to our country? We don't need you. And he smiled. He said, you British people, you ruled over India for well over a century. And you took so many of the treasures and so much of the wealth of India to bring to London. But you forgot the most valuable treasure and the greatest wealth of India. Our culture. He said, I have come to bring you what you forgot to take from us. It is true. But what's happening to India? India has the power, and it always did, from a spiritual perspective, and to change the whole world to a large extent. And now that India is gaining such great prominence in the economic world, in the industrial world, in America, many of the greatest doctors, business people, educators, scientists, of course, software engineers, are coming from India. It's incredible. India has one of the most beautiful opportunity in these times to connect to our culture. It's a culture of Karuna. It's a culture of compassion, active, dynamic, directed compassion, where we understand that we are caretakers of God's property. We are caretakers of the intelligence, the skills, the resources that God has given us. And we have a responsibility. To use them with compassion. I'm forever indebted to the people of India and the culture of India for giving me that greatest treasure in my life. I'm a Swami, and little Swamis have their place, but actually, everyone in every occupation, like the different organs of the body, the different organs of the body of different shapes, different sizes, different functions, but when they all appreciate each other and serve together for the higher cause beyond just little me, but us, then we become healthy and we help the social body to become Healthy. such a wealth, is so precious. I thank all of the people of India. And with such a um, earnest heart and tears in my eyes, I beg you, try to really appreciate And connect deeper and deeper with the beautiful culture of compassion that is India. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Swamiji, for the wonderful, inspirational uh, talk. We will have time for limited time for some questions. So, if anyone has uh, anything to ask, uh, Swamiji, we can have one or two questions. Can get can get someone get a mic over there? Yeah. Good afternoon, sir. So my question is, sir, in this materialistic world, how one in this materialistic world how one my name is Pramod Shah, I'm a practicing company secretary and corporate consultant. So question is uh, to Swami uh, how to remain spiritual? Yeah, already we are surrounded by so much of materialistic world. And so, second question is What is the purpose of life, sir? Thank you. In the materialistic work, world, how to uh, ignite or promote spirituality? Let's That's sir. the question. What is the purpose of life?
0: Isha Upanishad begins. With the invocation, Om Purnam Adapurnam Idam. That the source of everything, Janma Yadaha, or God, who has many names, who has appeared in many times, the Gita tells, Yadah Yadahi Dharmas Yagvanir Bhavati Bharata. It's interesting. I was talking about my travel, and I met so many different people of so many different religions and some were just such loving, compassionate, deep people of all religions. And others were very um, hateful, that if you're not like me, you're evil. And I saw this in every religion. And then I saw this beautiful verse in Bhagavad Gita, yada yadahi dharmasyaklanir Bharata, that the one God appears again and again to establish various religious systems in different parts of the world throughout history. But the message is essentially the same. Sanatana Dharma. So that one supreme truth, who is the father, the mother, and the source of everything and everyone, is perfect. And therefore, everything that is emanating from the truth, everything created, has a spiritual origin. But when we forget the origin, then we don't see that perfection. The material world is spiritual. It's just a matter of perception. This microphone, I can use it to promote hate or I can use it to promote love. The microphone is neutral. If I recognize the spiritual quality that this is God's property and use it accordingly and we see everything in that light, then the material world becomes spiritualized by that perception. If I use it according to my arrogance or greed, then we're missing the chance. Then everything becomes, as we might say, material. In the Bible, Jesus said, be in this world but not of this world. This material world is sacred. Life within every living being is a part of God, therefore life is sacred. When we don't understand our own sacredness and how we have the sacred body and mind to express our sacredness, then we fail to see the sacredness of the environment, our possessions, our skills, or other people. So to live spiritually in this material world is to just, the idea of religion comes, the word comes from the Latin word religio, which means to reconnect. The word yoga means to reconnect. This is a universal principle when we reconnect with our own selves, then we will see the sacredness around us and we will live in harmony with that sacredness. Bhagavad Gita was spoken in this context. Arjuna was a political person. He was a warrior. The least likely activity for a spiritual person. But after hearing the principles of Bhagavad Gita, he was free of envy, free of arrogance, free of greed, free of selfishness. And then he fought. He did his duty, his dharma. But he did it for the welfare of the world. He did it for the pleasure of God. So in whatever occupation we do, the Bhagavat tells a tapum varna ashrama dharmasya Whatever occupation, whatever status of life, do it in harmony with that love that is within our heart. Do it with compassion. Do it for the pleasure of our Lord. And that is the path of the highest perfection. Work is worship when it is in that spirit. But I explained earlier that when we have satsang, when we have some sadhana, and when we try to really live with sadhacara, character, then we actually have the vision and the strength to perform our duties in this world for a glorious, meaningful purpose. That's that's true dharma. That's true yoga. I know industrialists who have tens and thousands of employees and thousands of stockholders, shareholders, and they're dealing with governments, and they're dealing with unions, and they're dealing with employees, and they're dealing with competition. And they are more saintly than practically any of the sadhus and monks and swamis that i know they raise their families with dignity they earn with integrity and truly spend with compassion and they're enlightened people and every one of us could do that the world is beautiful when we see that opportunity
1: Thank you, thank you, Swamiji. One last quick question, if anyone has. You know, very briefly, uh, there's a lady there. Before we wind up, we're running uh, behind schedule, so just one last
2: question. Sure, uh, thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Nilita Leme from Quintiles. Um, so I think there were some fantastic discussions. Uh, I, I'm just connecting the dots between what you said just now and what was presented in the earlier session. So some wonderful things, for example, the highest level of leadership, one can expect from one's team is by the lowest level of behavior that you demonstrate. And it boiled down to compassionate intelligence. And then when you spoke about it, you also spoke about spirituality. But then it again boiled down to active, direct, dynamic compassion. So when it seems to be something that is so intrinsic to human nature, right? On one side you're hearing about child slavery, about abuse to women. When it seems to be so intrinsic to women... Why is that compassion not coming out in people? I, I, it might sound like a stupid question here, but it bothers me that this should be something that is integral to a human being. So why is that not happening? Why all of these things would change if your mindset of it turns to one where you're compassionate? Okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: I think I understand your question. didn't I understand?
2: Did you?
0: there is a simple analogy, a crane is a white bird with a pointed long beak and long thin legs. And in this analogy we learn that the crane stands with one leg in a stream of water and watches so many little fish swim by, ten little fish, a hundred little fish. A thousand little fish. He just watches patiently. And then when a big fish comes, he eats it. Now, oh, I don't eat fish. <laughs> but cranes do eat fish. <laughs> the analogy is this. In this world, there are so many little things that are coming into our life into our minds. And we become so disturbed by them. We become so attracted to them. What is the big fish? What is the real purpose of life? What is the real meaningful life? What is really important in life? That's very important. If we don't focus on what's really important, the higher principle, then we become endlessly distracted by so many little things that seem so important, but they're really not. In my own life, when I was eight years old, my mother once told me that your father and I, everyone loves your father and everyone loves me, but we do not love each other. We have decided to separate and prepare to be divorced. That was unimaginable for me. At eight years old, in those days in America, I never heard of a divorce. They're gonna, my parents are gonna separate I felt like the entire world just dropped out from under me and I was dropping in an endless void. It was so confusing, so disorienting. I started to cry and I couldn't say a word. My mother saw me in that condition. And she's a mother who loved me. She tried to say something to me and I ran out the door and I ran down the steps and I ran out the other door and I ran through my yard and I ran down the street and I ran for blocks. I was disturbed. Hours later, my father came home from his work and I knew they were gonna discuss it. So after he came into the house, I secretly followed. And when they went into their bedroom together and closed the door, I put my ear to the door. My mother told my father what happened, my reaction to their decision. They were in total silence. And then I heard them both say, For the sake of our child, we are going to work everything out and stay together. And they did. And it was hard. But because they were focusing on a big fish, (laughs) they were focusing on their mutual love for their child they were able to patiently let all the little fish of all their disagreements and all their ego, ego battles and all of their differences pass. And after a few years, I saw they were the most loving, connected husband and wife I practically had ever seen. When my mother passed away, they had just celebrated their 58th wedding anniversary. They focused on a higher principle. If you're not focused on that higher principle, which is the principle of love, which is the, the principle of compassion, and giving that to others, then we, be, we will be endlessly distracted by all little matters. Because in this world, we are constantly bombarded with weapons of mass distraction. And that will always be. If we don't have that higher purpose in life, and we're not focusing on it, and we're not in beautiful gatherings like today, where we're hearing from so many perspectives and points of view how to reconnect to that higher purpose and value of life. Then we become distracted. We see a little piece of sand to be a mountain. But if we really have the value of what's really meaningful, what's really purposeful in our life, then we see the piece of sand for what it is, and we actually move forward to the real mountain. I'm so grateful for this beautiful event of the CII, where each speaker I was hearing was speaking how we could actually enrich the value and the character of our lives and use the beautiful blessings that God has given us for a truly meaningful and wonderful purpose. Compassion.
1: Thank you very much.